And welcome to the Life Support Live podcast, the weekly podcast that explores how Star Trek can help us to boldly go in our own lives to better ourselves and the rest of humanity. As a famous Starship captain once said, and as another famous Starship captain also once said, the one with the new series on the way, wherever our mission takes us, we'll try to have a little fun along the way. Always, always, that's the goal. Hi, everyone. I'm psychologist Dr. Ali Matu. And I'm Dr. Trek, Larry Nimacek. One of us is a real doctor. And we'll leave it to you to decide who that is. <laughs> hey, every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, we record this show live on Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook with our audience joining in and rebroadcast here as a podcast. If you'd like to join us live, check out the links in the show notes. And now... Let's engage with our regularly scheduled program, Already in Progress. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Hey, everybody. Good to see everyone back here <laughs> on Life Support. We hope you enjoyed our first episode uh, last week. Larry, how mm-hmm. are you doing today? I'm good. It's a little uh, crazy. We got into a, we're into a heat spell here yeah. um, in Southern California. We've gone from... The COVID times of cool to, to hot, but uh, um, things are staying busy and uh, we're <laughs> staying, keeping our heads above water in our in our uh, COVID lockdown times. And everybody's hope you're doing well, Ollie. I'm doing OK. I'm doing well. It's been um busy, busy week. Um, There's a lot going mm-hmm. on this week. But you know what was nice about this week? We weren't launching a brand new show. <laughs> we did that last <laughs> week. So we kind of figured out some stuff. Um, so that, that, that was helpful a lot. (laughs) Well, speaking of this week, Larry, I've been, uh, that second kid is always easier than the first kid. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and speaking of seconds, this episode, I've been excited about all week long because we are talking Star Trek Deep Space Nine and, um, how Deep Space Nine can help us to navigate this uh, this uncertain time. We want to start off with a question uh, for all of you, which is, what stories do you think from Star Trek Deep Space Nine are most relevant to understanding our times now? Because, Larry, there's so mm-hmm. much. There's so much that Deep well, Space Nine gave us. Oh, yeah. Well, we've, and we've just jumped on here, uh, Ali. We should tell everybody that yeah. uh, this oh, is yeah. live support. <laughs> right, and we do. So when we say we're going boldly into uncertain waters, it's. I like to think of uh, we're we're geeking out on Star Trek, completely. There's no quiz tomorrow mm-hmm. in your Psych 101 class, but we're applying this mental health lens. You've got two doctors here. One of them is actually a real doctor, and it's not me. <laughs> just let me know. And we're yeah, that's what we're doing. And every week we have a new theme, and, and we're kind of broad brushing this week. We started off with looking at the character of Picard last week and, and trauma and grief, but we've just set the bar here as the entire series of DS Nine. Maybe that's a mistake, and maybe we can come back in and uh, only only from an embarrassment of riches standpoint, and we can go back in later. But for right now, just saying this broad brush of DS Nine and isolation, I think, is our theme this week. And that's certainly something that I think a lot of us can relate to here in the Corona time. Yep. Yep. Um, it's, I, I go back and forth between saying this, but I, I think I can say it. I, I think Star Trek Deep Space Nine is my favorite Star Trek. Um, but I say that because it's like, it's, it, it's the other side of the next generation. I think the two 
two of them together are my favorites. So um, I know we're not going into favorites and debating and ranking and all of that, but I've been so excited to talk about this with you today, Larry. Two sides of the same coin. As two sides of the same coin. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, a lot of friends of, uh, of ours are back here. Rose, thank you for being back here. Scott uh, is saying, Larry and Ollie in the morning. I love community. So, um, And LeVar Burton. Um, wasn't LeVar Burton on Community? Um, or he had directed a few episodes. So for a moment, you meant LeVar Burton was in our chat. I was going to oh, say. Oh, well, that. no, I mean, maybe in a future episode, not this week. <laughs> Although maybe, maybe he'll be here. Who knows? Um, Michael DS9 is so relevant today. Absolutely. And let us know in the comments how you think it's relevant, what stories are relevant, uh, for today's, uh, today's time. So, um, if this is your first time at Life Support, welcome. We're going to be having a lot of fun here. And uh, Larry, should we dive into it? Let's dive. Let's dive. Let's, let's, let's boldly go here. So, yeah. okay, I want to I want to talk to you about this, Larry. We haven't talked too much DS9, you and me. We we always talk about mm-hmm. a lot of stuff. But, like, do you, so when it comes to Deep Space Nine, very big departure from Star Trek The Next Generation um, very different story. Our lead is a commander. We're on this um, new frontier. There's a wormhole, uncharted region of space. And then from the production standpoint, massive sets um, that are very much illuminated by themselves. It's quite literally a darker show. We, we explore war, we explore espionage, we explore how far you can push a utopia and still be a utopia. How the heck did we get the Star Trek show? How did this happen? Uh, well, we got it from, uh, you know, Michael Piller and, and Rick Berman through Gene Roddenberry, who had just passed away as they were starting to work on this. I mean, I have a phrase I say a lot where it's it's true of every franchise, and especially with Star Trek. Every new iteration, the, the, ma- the basic bar is it has to be exactly like the last one, except totally different. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which in a lot of ways, to me, it's like, okay, well, here's the same pendulum. It's just swinging differently. And everything about DS9 was meant to be not out of a sense of failure and looking for something different, but just as exploring something different yeah. from the next generation. And as the next generation went along, it had turned into the the bright, happy show, you know, exploring strange new worlds, going planet to planet. And everything about DS9 was meant to be not antithetical to Starfleet and the, you know, the the Roddenberry vision, but just as a format. So instead of a ship, we're on a space station. And and they even looked at whether it would be a space station or a planet base. And they thought a space station would be more interesting and it would be easier to build the sets and Mm -hmm. And all that. And it would be more inviting to have, you know, like a Casablanca in space mm-hmm. or a Dodge City in space, kind of a meeting point nexus. And everything about it. And, and no, we're not. But not we're that not nexus. The, yeah, Different we're not. Nexus. <laughs> but we're not. And we're not. Um, we're not changing the fundamentalism mostly of the of the Federation people. But we're going to bring in more conflict and darkness, if you will. Through having it be that nexus of, or not the nexus, not the capital N nexus, but that hub, the Casablanca kind of, um, mm. you know, crossroads right. of the galaxy. And and what you even thought about in the beginning is amped up because they introduced the wormhole and then they introduced the Dominion and then we introduced Galactic War and, you know, and we get on down the line. But that it was intentionally set up to be a different tone and light. And 
if our theme is uncertainty this week, what all that always does to any new Star Trek show, I don't know if you've noticed this, Ollie, but there's always a little bit of uncertainty in the audience <laughs> every time a new Star Trek comes along, and that was certainly true of, of DS9, because we were still new at new spinoffs. I mean, Next Generation was new, but there had been a gap in TV. This is the first time there were two series on at the same time, so that was a new experience. Yeah, And this certainly... You know, had people that didn't, but what? They didn't get it at first. And a lot of people watched for years and didn't get it for a long time. I mean, yeah, DS9's famously getting a new look the last few years. I I don't think I quite got it. Um, I don't think I really tuned in until Worf came on. Um, What was that, season four? Was it The Way of the Warrior? Is what brought brought Worf on. Uh, I think I had seen a couple episodes prior to that, and it just didn't look like anything I expected. And um, it, it's a show that I have appreciated more with time. And it's also, um, talk about uncertainty, Larry, if that if Deep Space Nine came out in the era of streaming, I think it would be a very different, probably oh, would yeah. have had a different reception. And so Deep Space Nine was also experimenting with uh, more serialized storytelling mm-hmm. in a way that was very new for the 90s, but also very new for Star Trek. I think the... I was thinking about this in preparation for today. With uh, The Next Generation, we had some stories that were um, were carried forward across a few episodes. Um, the one that really sticks out to me is Best of Both Worlds, because you had... Not only was a cliffhanger, but then the effects of that we saw in the next episode family where Picard is uh, reunited with his brother. And it also, the best of both worlds was tying into previous Borg episodes. And then the fallout of Wolf 359 we see in, in future episodes, but nothing quite like the story of the founders of, um, of the dominion war of um, all the different factions in the alpha quadrant. And then the other thing that, that Deep Space Nine did is uh, look at these characters across uh, very long periods of time. Not only our main cast, but side characters, like characters well, like Garrick. See, I don't think, I, you know, there were always intentions to have recurring characters. Mm-hmm. And Next Generation had had that. I mean, O'Brien began as a recurring right. character. Loxana Troy was a recurring character, you know. Um, and and some of the crew, you should see, uh, Barclay, you know, obviously, mm-hmm. as they mm-hmm. were oh. You know, people who were not in the opening credits, the, the you know the regulars, the regular six, seven, eight, whatever up front, but the people that we knew over over time. But that was a, I think that was an unintended, not consequence, an unintended bonus of DS9. And what's so funny? I was going to ask you when you said you didn't get into DS9 at the beginning. Did you have the reaction of, well, this does it's on a station, doesn't go anywhere? No. Nah. <laughs> that was one of the big knocks of DS9. How can it be Star Trek when they don't go boldly go anywhere to explore? I did get very excited when there was a defiant. And so it, it was it was less about not going anywhere, but it was more um, just the familiarity wasn't there. The bridge didn't quite look like a bridge. Um, I didn't a see a lot of Starfleet insignia. Um, the Starfleet, uh, the bright optimistic uh, Starfleet architecture. Um, I, I think that was just a bit unsettling for me. Um, there wasn't enough that tied this to um, to the, 
what I was used to, even though the pilot has Jean-Luc Picard. And again, it's, it's mm-hmm. carrying forward the Wolf 359 Borg storyline right there in the pilot. But, um, but I missed the pilot. I didn't, I didn't see it. So I didn't see that connection. I just started watching it here and there and it looks so different. But then Worf came. I loved Worf and that helped me to discover what the show's really mm-hmm. about. And then I catched up on episodes and syndication. They're all out of order. So I was so confused oh. with the storylines. Um, well, you, I mean, you were talking about serializing. So one of the, one of the things that happened in the nineties, and I remember, I mean, I watched it every week because I wanted to, but also it was, I hate to say it was work, but it was work. I mean, it was <laughs> my, it was my world. You were but writing I, for a Star Trek uh, magazine. You, I mean, this was, this is what you did. Yeah. Right, yeah. right, right. Um, you know, wrote and edited and, and talked and spoke, but so many people, I mean, Next Generation, by being syndicated, it was this pioneer in syndication, which at the time was one way of getting people something that was beyond, you know, the big four networks and and having its own independence, which is what when he was alive, Gene had insisted on. So they weren't, you know, they weren't always in the bubble. They weren't subject to all the crazy ratings, you know, drama, melodrama. So they pioneered syndication. What was sad was it's like Next Generation sucked up all the air in the syndication room. And when here's its sister show, DS9, comes out in a lot of markets that were smaller markets, the station that had Next Generation, there was no room mm-hmm. to put another one-hour drama on. Or that they were spending all their money on Next Generation and the stations couldn't show DS9. And so DS9 went to like a lot of second-tier stations. And in a lot of markets, it would be like the Hockey Channel or the Basketball Channel if it was, all, you know. And if it was game night, they would bump it to two and three in the morning. And then you add in the serial, the increasingly serialized nature of DS9, not like we think of tight today, like mm-hmm. DS Discovery and Picard, but way more than Next Gen and the original series had been. And I remember lots of people going, you know what? I missed two shows. I'm lost. I can't keep up. Right. It sounds insane today, but yeah. that was nature week to week, you know, or my VC, they bumped it and the game ran late and my VCR missed it. So yeah. I'll never yeah. see that up which are all moot points today. It's not the paradigm, yeah. but that's what that's what the that's what the problems were with DS9. But if you could stick it out and find your way there, then you were just dealing with it. First, they tried to find their identity. They were trying to say, well, are we gonna? We can't be next generation light, and yes, not go anywhere. Yeah. You know, except it's the wormhole or something comes to us. And it took a while to figure all that out. But that thing about not going anywhere meant you wound up with like forty characters. Yes. Because because they had to come to the station. The, the, the station didn't get up and hop from planet to planet. And occasionally they got back to Kronos or Romulus or, or Ferenginar. Yeah. People came to the station and the same people came. And they, and you had all those, inter, you know, the Cardassians. But you had the Bajoran drama and the Cardassian drama and eventually the Dominions. And, you know, so that's those circles of circles of circles is what kept piling on more and more recurring characters and, and made you feel like that tapestry was, we keep talking about tapestry. Tapestry. Tap- yeah. yeah. Larry, you're on fire today. Tapestry. Uh, next. Okay. Uh, well, and the, I think we should acknowledge that the first, the first, at least the first season, they were really figuring things out. And, um, which is true of any, of the Star yeah, which is true of all the Star Trek's. Absolutely. Absolutely. Minus the original series. I, I think the original series is the exception there. It's uh, good from the get go. 
Um, well, they, they were, but they didn't wear it on their sleeve. I mean, it was right. kind of like, well, we're a new show. Of course we're figuring it out. Right, yeah. right, right. Like, the world had it under the microscope already. Like, and, and that's where I think uncertainty plays out in DFS9 in, in two different ways. One is the behind the scenes and everything you're talking about, about how, how do we make the show work? Um, how do we bring uh, the Alpha Quadrant to Deep Space Nine? How do we play out these stories? It also plays out in the stories themselves. You start to see they put seeds down of so many different threads that play out over the course of seven seasons from the get-go, the Dominion is such a... There's like whispers of the Dominion season one. And season two, um, things are kind of picking up a little bit. I, 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 don't, I don't remember when Quark's storyline and, and establishing trade in the Gamma Quadrant starts to play out, but that's season two or three. I, right. I was going to say, I was going to tweak you. There was yeah, nothing please. about... Dominion didn't come along until they got through the first season. Okay. Okay. And then, and then the Dominion started to be sprinkled. What you're thinking of the trade, the karma, yeah. and some of those whispers with the Ferengis, uh, started to come in second season. So this show, we didn't, while you're watching it, we had no idea where the show is headed. And that is a little bit of a different paradigm than Star Trek The Next Generation, where it was more episodic week to week. You could tune in, you could tune out. Deep Space Nine just didn't work that way. And I think it was, it introduced a lot of uncertainty for fans and there was a mm. lot of in uncertainty inherent to the story. And we're getting a lot of really great comments here I was ab about, sure. right. yeah, the, um, p there's so many themes that DS9 explored that go into a lot of different directions. Um, the vintage psych mentions race discrimination against the Cardassians and mm -hmm. getting over that is relatable with people blaming specific races for COVID and uh, when we shouldn't. Um, absolutely, we shouldn't. But that was racism, war, um, the discrimination against Cardassians. We see that with O'Brien, especially. Um it actually started on Next Generation. Which started on Next Generation, absolutely. Yeah. But it, but then it was amplified. But that was one of the threads. That's why they formatted DS9 and went with, with, with that. Because they did want to make it darker, not to betray Federation ideals, but like really run them through the ringer. But then yeah. bring in Klingons and Cardassians and yep. you know, all of that. Yeah, and we also got a great comment um, from Dan, who mentioned um, the sound of her voice. Uh, that's a, I think, is that season seven episode, Larry? Where uh, six? It's late, but six. it's not the, They're yeah. trying to rescue um, a Starfleet captain who is on a planet and is dying, and um, not to spoil it, I guess. Well, yeah, I have to spoil it. Um, they find out that she, there was a time displacement. She passed away a long time ago. Um, but Dan mentions that um, he's been thinking about this episode, especially because his grandmother passed away due to COVID-19. Mm -hmm. And um, Dan, we're so sorry uh, to hear about your loss. And sometimes these stories can help us find a way to grieve or or relate to the characters in a way like our, our grief is is united in the way larry there's a lot of of death was explored in um deep space nine a lot of trauma loss casualties war how how did we get well, a, i mean yeah well i mean that's that's a good point because you know the, there's a meme now we were talking about how ds9 was received early on the Growing consensus, and it's been interesting to watch the next generation generation of fandom, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and, 
as the original series was displaced. Well, of course, everything is about the original series and everything else came later. And where do you think all these shows came? If it wasn't for the original series, you wouldn't have anything else. <laughs> and eventually, can I just say this, that, that the, the original, the primetime run, but the 20 years, the rerun babies like me, mm-hmm. I'm going to be around a while, but that chunk of fandom is passing on. Mm-hmm. And the big bulk of numbers that came in with Next Generation original run and, and this daily strip watching, the syndication watching, that's kind of the bulk of fandom. And it's been interesting to watch people's memories. You know, we were talking last week about how a rewatch in your later years is not just fun for a rewatch, but it, you realize you're seeing it through different times of your life, different the eyes of a different person. You you know, we all are different people when we were kids. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's been watch, interesting watching these things we say about this night. It's held up the best. It presaged serialized storytelling. It presaged darker storytelling, and especially for Star Trek. And it's been interesting watching people grapple with that. Newer fans come along and go, oh, I've sampled all the shows. DS9 is the only thing that holds up today. <laughs> and it's been interesting watching fans who were like, of course, Next Generation or, of course, Original Series, watch DS9 today and grapple with, oh, well, I feel I feel like I'm betraying my first love if I say how much I love DS9. <laughs> but they get it because it does fit our times. What's amazing is people may think, oh, well, yeah, it was po-. DS9 was even before, you know, 9-11 changed everything. Mm-hmm. And. So many of the things, the, the the subjects of just a darker storytelling, but all that, ta- all the uh, insecurity and uncertainty about who our enemy is and how they look like us and are they really are the things that Ron Moore took off and explored in Battlestar Galactica's mm-hmm. reboot mm-hmm. were done originally with him in the mix with Ira and Michael Piller mm-hmm. on DS9. But all those questions about um, you know, security versus liberty and our civil liberties versus collective security uh, that have been around forever. And wartime tends to bring them back. And they were really, a, a, you know, a heightened issue in DS9, along with these other these some of these other social issues. I mean, that's a social issue. But that was all even before 9-11, much less today. We're having this debate about closing down states and you know private business for the collective good versus you know, it's, a, it's that same debate, only it's a slightly different slant. It's not quite as ominous as an outside invader, except here the outside invader that we can't see is the virus, not, you know, a terrorist. So that is a very good segue um, out of the briefing room and into the counselor's log. This is what I, um, I'm so excited to talk about. I mean, I'm always excited to talk Trek, but especially with Deep Space Nine. So going into the counselor's log... When we were thinking about topics to explore um, for Deep Space Nine, it, it was hard to make a short list because there's so much, so many ways in which uncertainty is explored. And so if we just sort of unpack uncertainty and what that is, uncertainty is when um, you just don't know what's going to happen. And there's ambiguity about the future. There is maybe you're doing something new and you just don't know how the consequences are going to play out or it's a rapidly changing situation, or you don't have all the information available, or it's some type of crisis situation. And uncertainty can lead to a lot of worries, difficulty controlling those worries, a lot of reassurance seeking, trying to get more information, and you just never quite get it. It can make you very tense. It can make it hard to be in the present moment and do the jobs you need to do. You might be very stressed about it. 
Um, in very large amounts, uncertainty can be related to generalized anxiety disorder or obsessive compulsive disorder. Larry, there's so many, so many ways in which this is like not only explored in Deep Space Nine, but we're struggling with. Like, I, this week was a little bit better for me, but last mm-hmm. week I had a heck of a time falling asleep and staying asleep because mm-hmm. my head, and like, I'm, I'm, I know sleep hygiene. I know what to do. I was following through on all this. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I might have studied this a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> and, um, I'll reveal myself. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah right. Uh, one of my, um, one of the things I was pinpointing was it's, it was uncertainty for me and really struggling with worries about what every day is going to look like. So, okay, we made this short list. The Dominion. Who are the Dominion, the rising threat, and then the all-out war, uncertainty there. Section 31, what is this organization? Who's a part of it? What have they done? What will they do? Uncertainty there. Odo, his exploration, who he is, his past, his future. Is he a part of the Dominion? Is he good? Is he bad? Uncertainty there. Um, Cisco was struggling with this, with the casualty reports coming in. Um, and that's kind of ultimately what led to uh, In the Pale Moonlight and the actions he takes to bring the Romulans into the war. But then you had a really great point. And you said the changelings. And as the changings have infl- infiltrated the Alpha Quadrant, it created a set of circumstances that are very similar to the circumstances we're in. Now, now we're not, there isn't an Alpha Quadrant-wide battle or maybe there isn't. We just don't know about it. Like that could be happening. <laughs> we're fine, Ali. We're finding out how many people are carrying around the coronavirus, yes. and don't, they're asymptomatic, but they're carriers. And yes. it's, it could be like half the population yeah. has it. They're just not sick with it. Right. But you know what? But let, don't leave Cisco without talking about the other weird uncertainty. It was him and this whole prophets emissary thing. Yes, absolutely. Which is benign, but it's still. It's still stultifying. I mean, it's, you know, it, 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 that was something that really was an unseen, not a threat, but a mystery it, that he was easy to, you know, and in the beginning, it's like all the Bajorans worship these gods, but they're just the wormhole building aliens from another, you know, er, you know, section of the galaxy or another dimension or whatever. But people, the, you know, are they the wormhole builders or are they the prophets that are gods? Right. And he starts off in that secular federation view and and then gets this religious thing crown put on his head, and he's like, okay, well, whatever, guys. I, if it makes you happy, sure. <laughs> and then events start to play out. It's, it gets into that, well, now, what do we do? You know, not not judging, but how do we view these? Oh, and the Federation did not like that uncertainty with Cisco being the prophet. No. no well, they... Cisco didn't like that uncertainty. No, at the no. Beginning, right? And then everyone around him, right. No, and, and, and the Bajorans were like, like Okay, yeah. we'll go along with this. Uh, let's see how this plays out. Uh, hey, you know what? I forgot to mention something at the top of the show. Yeah. That this is a special edition. This is only our second week on, yeah. but I meant to give a shout out to everybody with Penguin Con mm. in greater Detroit. I know it's north of Detroit. Uh, this, like so many of the conventions, Penguin Con was supposed to uh, hap- be happening this year, like so many other conventions. It's gone. Uh, like a few other conventions, I was supposed to be there this weekend, and obviously I'm not. I'm here at home like everybody else is. But shout out to PinguaCon. A lot of the conventions have made attempts at having virtual programming. Uh, and sometimes it's after the fact. I know WonderCon is doing after the fact, 
virtual programming. PingleCon, which is actually a mashup between sci-fi, science fiction, you know, standard convention fair and makers and open source coding. So it was, I was really looking forward to seeing what this looked like. I hope I get to, sure, you know, God willing, the creek don't rise too high. <laughs> the corona don't rise too high. Um, I was really, I was really interested to see what that, but here's one thing. They're actually having virtual, you know, would be panels happening. And we made today's show a virtual panel in the programming grid of, um, of PinguaCon. So I know we've got here some of my, uh, some cohorts here that I haven't met, but I know them virtually. Um, Nicole's J- here. JD and a few people here jumping in. Uh, yeah, they're all, so we've got some folks here from, uh, who, our virtual attendees of virtual PingoCon this weekend too. So special today. So I want to give a shout out to all them and say, this is awesome. And thanks for joining in. If we seem a little rough around the edges, it's because we are, this is just oh, our second show, but I, <laughs> I think we're making up with, uh, I think we're lighting some fires, hopefully um, here and in greater fandom that people haven't had a chance to examine before or look at it in this lens. And there's also the whole thing, Larry, of us, uh, of, of a pandemic being going on, which might also make things a little rougher on the edges as well. <laughs> yeah, um, just life in, but that's what we're here for. That's what we're talking about. Welcome, everyone, from uh, PenguinCon. It's uh, wonderful to have you here. And I, I, just, I was cracking up, Larry, because I read um, Glenn's comment. Glenn said a Heisenberg compensator would come in handy right now to deal with all this uncertainty. Absolutely. Just, Let's just... just Solve that Heisenberg uncertainty principle here. Why, uh, why waste it on a transporter when you just apply it to life in general? That'd be that'd be wonderful, and I'm sure it could probably work that way. As uh, Mike Akuda said, we don't know how the Heisenberg <laughs> compensator works. It just sort of compensates for it. Um, it's like the improbability drive on that. <laughs> so um, how? So we had all of these things, right? Um, all these different themes playing out. And the the changeling infiltration of the Alpha Quadrant is a really great parallel to the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. Is We don't know who's a carrier, as you were saying, Larry. And the culture, Earth had to rapidly change. Um, and there's mm-hmm. that wonderful episode where uh, the changeling who's impersonating an admiral approaches Cisco and says, it's too late. We're everywhere. Um, it's, it's way too late, which I think in some ways might parallel what's happened here is we started to take action, but, um, the virus had already spread. So, um, I'm curious to hear your perspective and then I want to share mine as well. What, what do you think did help these characters in these different storylines to navigate the uncertainty? How, how did they deal with it? Yeah, in fact, that the Admiral Layton's was that was a two-part episode, mm-hmm. uh, and, and it gets to the heart of that. Uh, they suspended civil liberties mm-hmm. and came close to martial law in, a, in an overreach. And of course, our heroic Cisco was able to pull pull that back because you see the downside of of seeing a if you see a, a changeling everywhere, if you see a virus everywhere, and you and you either become too afraid or too demonstrative, then you know um, you can you can cause more damage in the long run, mm-hmm. right? Um, it's interesting for the show that was so dark and people were worried about, well, I want my bright, shiny, happy Federation ideals. I mean, there was a lot of pushback. I mean, I have a little bit of a, some of this is my K, you know, the K3 factor I'll give this week's uh, example is coming up. But even in that, a lot of people were, um, very not happy with DS9 eventually. It was one thing to have tension, right? But when you combined, and it's not like, 
Star Trek had never looked at the idea of war, starting with original series, right? Uh, and two or three, you know, uh, Aaron DeMercy and the and the computer generational wars and those kinds of things, private little war, mm-hmm. Vietnam, you know. Oh, Proxy. one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, beam us up. We're very tired. It was like, <laughs> wow, no happy dappy ending. For yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Radical for 1967. But the point is, they looked at war, but it was just another issue from this week's show. Yeah. And the idea of the ongoing, you know, and the next gen gets into maybe two parters and then maybe a two part flare up. And then a year now we'll have a two part flare up mm-hmm. and it'll be our sweep show. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we'll spend more money on sets and guest stars. But for the, the series to be in this running, running battle with bringing war to an audience and then to get just finally, hey, we're in a full time war. And the last two seasons whether there were some really extended, like the six-part serialized opening of sixth season and then the 10-part ending, 10 or 12-part ending of, of the finale, the yeah. last season, yeah. were so interwoven and so serious. It's really more in the tone of what we think of today, and they were totally pioneering it. And they didn't always get it right then. Yeah. And the writers talk – Renee and Ron and the guys talk about, oh, my God, I'm I'm blurry. Wait, did we do this? And, I, <laughs> and sometimes things like – was meant to be a story fell out because it would get shifted around from episode to episode because it's just a blur. But there was a lot of pushback on that. Majel Barrett Mm -hmm. did, you know, speaking for dear departed Jean, she was totally against this idea of ongoing war. And that's not what Jean would have wanted. And then there would be pushback of, well, he didn't want it because they couldn't afford to do it in the Mm -hmm. sixties. So there was a lot of, but it still, it felt like it, it really felt, um, it fell on a lot of uncomfortability with a lot of fans to go there, but Ira would always defend it and say, look, we get from, and it's the same thing behind episodes I think we're going to get to down the line too in future weeks, like, uh, uh, future tense and, uh, you know, the bell riots and all mm-hmm. kinds of things. Or, you know, he says, Hey, we didn't always, we're where we are now. Mm-hmm. They're perfect. <laughs> they have a euphoria earth here, uh, you know, a perfection, a utopia earth. That wasn't just like they woke up one day and everything had changed for the better. And we were all suddenly tolerant and we were, you know, something happened along the way. And the Bell Riots two-parter was one way of trying to put that in. But it's, you know, the the great speeches by Garrick and and, and Quark, especially when he's like, yeah, these these humans all preach a good talk. But you take away their creature. You know, that's a famous speech. Yes. the root beer speech is famous. I love the root beer quote. Yeah, you know, yeah. Who knew work was going to be the commentator on humanity? <laughs> but that's where he wound up being. But that what about take away their creature comforts and they can be just as, you know, just as mad and, and uh, you know, survivalist as a Klingon or anyone else yeah. is kind of prescient. And, you, and they did some episodes where we kind of went there, but they always managed to cling on to their Federation ideals. Cling and, on, Larry. You are on fire today. Pushing that envelope. Well, I've done this for a year or two. Well, yeah. So you push the envelope where no envelope had been pushed before. Yeah, yeah, and and that's that's a little bit of a parallel to how we have to manage uncertainty as well. And I'm going to get into this in um, in the away mission this week when you talk about how we can um, how we can apply some of these skills to our own lives. But they. 
they started making these stories um, from behind the scenes and tolerating the uncertainty of how is the studio going to respond? How are the fans going to respond? And really boldly going forward on that in a way that we, we hadn't seen before. Um, We're having some great co- – I don't want to stop yeah. your flow here, but yeah. there's insanely good comments in our chat today. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure – maybe I missed it where Sangam is coming from. Mm-hmm. But I see one, he says he's in fear today because in front of my house, two people were killed by a crowd. Mm. And death, people mistake is that they are spreading awareness against COVID-19. Maybe I missed part of the story here, but we've got some, I mean, there's some, um, people are coming from all over. And we've got folks from, from your YouTube community and my Facebook community. I don't think our one Twitch follower has showed up yet, but. Um, and then I know a lot of people are with us, especially here. They came into the PingoCon uh, portal, I think mainly on YouTube. Sangam, we, we hope you're safe. And yes. please do. Your first priority has to be to keep yourself safe and um, your friends and family that you might be with. Uh, keep them Did safe. You see, you see his chat. It's at 1228. Yeah. Yeah. I just see his. Um, I'm seeing his comment right now. So, um Please do, please do. First priority, we have to keep all of ourselves safe. Um, but there's a lot of fear out there right now. And and that is one of the situations that was so heavily explored in Deep Space Nine are the some of the ways in which fear can help us to mobilize against the threat and then some of the ways it can be misused for um, political purposes. It can be construed as racism. So many um, different things there. Um, Larry, I want to talk about how we can apply this stuff to manage our own uncertainty, but before we get to that, we got to go through the K3 factor. Uh, Oh, you want to do the K3 factor now? Let's fire up the K3 factor. So the K3 factor is, as, as you know, uh, our show life support live forces me to, yes. Okay, fine. Dr. Trek and Dr. Ali, one of us is a real doctor, (laughs) which has to be me. But the, the K3 factor, now that's a deep cut on the original series because we laughed about how we were looking for medical iconic things from the original series. And once you get past a hypo, you know, and a psycho tricorder, what's that? But on, on the McCoy, on McCoy's Sigbay monitor panel, there is a K3 indicator that's supposed to be an indicator of electrical activity in the brain. Mm-hmm. It's like the one, the one thing we have that we can point to brain and, and mental health, um, activity in the original series. So this week's K3 factor uh, is trying to meld our, it's, it's melding our Star Trek lens with our mental health topic of the week. And just a little back, here's, here's my token trivia background. Uncertainty. We touched on it earlier on. Uh, you'd think when you're a showrunner of a show that you're kind of in charge, but you still have a boss. It's called the network or the studio. And uh, we talked about the Klingons coming, Worf and the Klingons coming to DS9. They were setting up a Dominion plot when when Ira came to be the showrunner as Michael Piller kind of retired and stepped away and and handed the ball to Ira, which was the original plan. Uh, they, they were off creating this whole Dominion plot and creating the background, having it not just be a, a single race, but having this three-tiered you know, clones and genetically bred. And the founders are shapeshifters who secretly run everything. And this whole ingenious setup was put together at the end of the first season and rolled out. And then along the way, rather than having Odo be revealed as a founder 
in the finale of the whole series, mm. they came up with, no, no, let's, let's jump in and say this up front, mm. which was, was, was a game changer for the whole series. Oh yeah, absolutely. Michael's initial thing was we'll reveal him at the end. And I was like, no, no, let's do it now. So all this excitement over coming up with the unique storytelling concept that was, you know, DS9's contribution to Star Trek was going to be the whole Dominion and the Dominion mm-hmm. War and another end of the galaxy. Mm-hmm. And in the middle of all that, even when you're running a show that's going to be, you know, you're already renewed, the uncertainty principle comes in on you because the network, your studio comes in and says, you know what? You guys need to pick me up. We need a little ratings boost along uh-huh. through here. How, how about we ask Michael Dorm if he'll come play Warp on your show? Mm. And we're used to it now, but at the time they're like, it was like, what? It's like, well, no, we're going down this road. We're no, what? We're good. he's a next gen guy. What are you going to pick him up and cram him into our DS nine dynamic, our family? And you know, and it's like, will he even wear the makeup for another five <laughs> god awful years of makeup wearing every day? And what will our cat think? And our leads already, and what their crypt yeah. they have to be? Excuse me, that's not PC for me. Well, our our show is struggling that we have to have an injection halfway through a pick me up. Mm-hmm. All of that had to be uh, assimilated. And then the fans were like, what? And most of all, the showrunners had this wonderful arc building out that had to be uh, detoured for a year. Well, we have to have this Klingon. Okay, so they did it. They brought in the Klingons. And then, you know, it made the show stronger as it went along. So my K3 factor this week is even when you've got your own hit show, sometimes there's uncertainties. Um that are injected, right? And they deal, but hopefully, as happened with DS9, the uncertainty principle plays out, and you can you can make lemonades, uh, lemonade from the lemons, and uh, you know be stronger for it, be stronger with it than without it. Yeah, and there's so many ways in which that behind the scenes uncertainty played out. We saw that with Jadzia and then Esri, and right. um, with uh, with the change there that happened. Um, Oh man, there's there's a lot with this show. But yeah, I did I did actually connect the dots with how much behind the scenes um, uncertainty was playing out with the story of the show as well. There's there's so much there mm-hmm. to unpack. Um, we we got a great uh, reminder from um, from the vintage psych about Doctor Bashir and his storyline um, being revealed as being genetically engineered, which. When yeah, I, so I recently rewatched Deep Space Nine, and one of the things, uh, as Larry, you've mentioned, when you revisit it with your present perspective, your present life experiences, you experience it differently. Doctor Bashir's character, in some ways, has not aged well when it comes to um, his relationship with women, especially how he treats women. And Doctor Bashir doesn't really work out too well in a in a Me Too era. Um, <laughs> what does work about Dr. Bashir is once it's revealed that he's genetically engineered, his whole demeanor and presentation and interactions completely change. And you have this awareness that he was playing a part before all of this. And he was playing a very, he was trying to really hide, um, his truth about, about who he was. Um, Michael mentioned earlier too, that, uh, Garrick was always, um, uh, that Garrick should have been gay, should have been revealed as gay. Right. And, um, the actor has mentioned that that's how he played the role, that he was in love with, with Julian. So there's, there's so much here to the characters that, um, 
that we can explore and so much more we can talk about. This is why I love Deep Space Nine. Um, but I, I want to get to today's away mission because uh, I think we're all dealing with uncertainty a bit. Um, and I got some ideas on how we can um, how we can all start to apply this to our own lives. So here's the thing about uncertainty. As we mentioned before, you want to get more information. You want to get more um, certainty about the future and you're never going to get it. So if you, if you look at episodes like in the pale moonlight where Benjamin Sisko is looking at all those casualty reports, he sort of gets mm-hmm. stuck in that stuck in, in looking at these reports, feeling overwhelmed by it. And it doesn't quite help him. It's not going to give him more certainty about what to do or where to go or how to how to react to all of this. So the first thing, Larry, that we all need to do is we need to reduce our information seeking. So one of the best ways that we can apply this is reduce your news intake. We all need, and in social media as well, we all need a plan for how much information, how much of these casualty reports we're looking at. You can't spend all day looking at all your pads here. You're, you're going to be, um, it's, it's really going to affect you. So one of the things that I've been recommending is look at news two times a day. It is actually important to get local news nowadays. But what I do is I listen to news once in the morning and once in the afternoon. I don't necessarily watch news. I, I listen to it on the radio or just scan um, the newspaper really quickly on my phone, and that's it. I keep it to two times a day. Yeah, you're kind of you're kind of recommending prescribing is too strong a word, obviously. <laughs> but you're recommending a time trip back to like 1980. Yes, <laughs> get your get your news twice a day. Yeah. yeah, this is one of the biggest problems we have right now because we have information overload. Um, and I like to turn off all the alerts on my phone except for critical messaging apps. So if I get a text from you or a direct message from a friend or family member, um, I'll get the alerts to that. But everything else I turn off because if I'm here having this conversation with you, Larry, and I get a breaking news alert on my phone, that completely takes my mind out of our conversation. And it's just something I can't really do anything with. Well, there goes my mental health for the next hour. I'm going to be overwhelmed by that. Um, like- or, you've, or you've tuned out on it and now you've tuned out. It's like the car alarm yeah. that goes out down the block. And right. You want to pay attention to it. Right. 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 Absolutely. So you really should be paying attention, but it's, it's just blurred into the background to keep your sanity. Yep. Yep. Your, right. Speaking of um, staying sane here is another thing to think about um, is getting some detachment for your, from your stressors. Mm-hmm. We see this with Vix. All of our characters, like when do, when do they really start going to VIX? It's when the the Dominion War is really reaching. Yeah, it's it's a pinnacle there. And so that's something we all need. We see this right now in the present with um, the USO. The USO has always been a service for the United States to entertain and help distract um, service members who are serving abroad. And, and locally, too. The USO is operated um, domestically, I should say. So we all need detachment. I think last week, uh, folks mentioned that Star Trek is one of their best coping skills for this oh, right. time and just watching Trek. Yeah, we all need to find ways that we can do something that takes our mind off of the uncertainty. And ideally, something that we might be doing together with people, like going to this. 
Absolutely. I I hadn't thought about Vix being the USO show of DS9. Uh, mm. That's a, yeah. Which and you know what? It's like all of this, even historically, is an evolving pattern. I mean, we were talking last week about trauma and grief, and talking about how just the term, just the verbiage that we assign to things, right? Mm-hmm. How it evolves. Hopefully, like like humanity itself. Hopefully, everything is on an upward path, and we may have come from a time of ignorance, but that was just because we started someplace, and we hopefully get smarter. But, you know, just the terminology for what used to, they called shell shock in World War mm-hmm. One, yep. and became uh, what combat fatigue mm-hmm. in World War II, like when Patton slapped that soldier in Sicily, but that was too far. And now, we, you know, we have PTSD, we refer to it, and, and now the 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 um, uh, traumatic stress disorder has expanded beyond mm-hmm. people still being military, but it can be any trauma in life, people, you know, that can be debilitating and triggering and that we're controlled by until we get on top of it but the u on the other side of that coin the uso show was that's like a world war ii era mm-hmm. part of it was i think because by the time of the second world war as maybe opposed to the first we had mass media we had movies tv recording stars i don't know maybe in the first in world war one they had opera singers go talk to the tri- i don't know but <laughs> broadway acts think but other Bond than no. that you know world war ii time we had media yeah but vaudeville um but world war ii was the first time we had media where we had celebrities where it made sense and they they'd sold war bonds too and all that but you know and bob hope and all that through through korea and vietnam and and today though and we see people from all you know entertainment aspects but again trying to lighten the load of people that have a heavy load yeah and nicole's mentioning that um at the beginning i was watching numbers and all constantly got to the point where i was not sleeping and started feeling chest pains from the stress um nicole i'm there with you uh my wife it actually uh we had to have a conversation about how we both should not look at the news before we go to sleep or even in the hours before going to sleep because it was too much made it hard for us to fall asleep and scott also mentioned that um he's been limiting his facebook intake and um, he says, I've told friends, it's your social media. Let let in only what you want it to be. I love that idea. Something I mentioned to people I work with is don't let social media just wash over you. Um, if you do that, you are susceptible to whatever is there. Um, really be careful of who you follow, when you check it, because all these things do impact your mental health. Um, here's another one I really like. Ollie, too, is yeah. aside from my primary sources, yeah. when I'm in a thread mm-hmm. and I see them, especially someone pop up with, you know, a, a totally contrary opinion. And maybe it seems out there before I get all huff and puffed about it. And I'm sorry, it's the state of the time we're in. I go and look at that. I, whoever it is, I go and look at their account and check their page and see, do they basically do they look like they're a bot or a troll? Do they look mm-hmm. like they actually have real photos do they look like they have kids singing in the christmas choir pageant at the mall yeah. you know i mean do they look like they have a real life do they have dogs do they have them? any they, followers sometimes they have, well that's number one right yeah, right yeah, yeah. but then do they have any followers have they been on did they get on last month but yeah like, things you can look at quickly look at their photos and the other weird thing is like they've, they've gotten smarter about this and they populate with photos like look at the photos and see if any if there are the same person is in any two of the photos, <laughs> it's like, it's good. Oh, look, it's a redheaded guy with a beard. Okay. So we'll get, but it's like, wait, this is 15 different redheaded bearded guys, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's like, they're just taking it. So yeah, before you get all 
hot and bothered and feel like responding to somebody in a thread and, and pushing your mental health to the limit uh, because something is so outrageous, stop and just take 30 seconds to go click on that person before you spend five or 10 minutes of your time and sanity on that. And that's, that's a, you know, that's, that's a little thing I've tried to do here lately and tried to preach to others too. Yeah. Rebecca saying it's difficult. I want to be informed, but at the same time, it only adds to my anxiety, which I barely suffered from before. And we all are suffering from or experiencing very high levels of stress in a way that we never did before. So you have to find a balance that works for you. Um, looking at the, at the news two times a day is, is nice for me. For you, Rebecca, maybe just once a day and at an earlier time in the day when you might be better able to manage it in a form that works for you. Maybe just radio. Maybe just listen to NPR, get your local news, the national news in five minutes. You got the headlines and then you're done. Um, another thing, this is, I, I love this example, Larry, is to, um, I call it, uh, see what Quark's up to. So, um, do something that absorbs your mind something that completely um, uh, captures your attention. So this is probably the skill we all need is to get better focused on today and tomorrow and to get a little distracted from one week from now, one month from now. So something I love about Deep Space Nine is all those episodes where Quark is trying to outsmart Odo and Odo is just trying to figure out what Quark is up to. Like they, they both love doing this, this sort of Batman and Joker um, unstoppable force meets an immovable object sort of game. But it's something that um, it they use every single um, focus point they have, all of their strengths to try to outsmart each other. So what do you have in your life that absorbs your mind completely? Whether it might be um, talking Star Trek, whether it might be uh, learning a song on the guitar, or some kind of project around your home, uh, find something that absorbs your mind. And when you're struggling with uncertainty, uh, pour yourself into that thing. It'll help you to be more in the present and be able to tolerate that uncertainty of the future. And if it's somebody with your family, there's a connection. And if it's, and we're all learning to stay connected. I keep saying this, what if this had happened 15 years ago? Not, mm -hmm. not forever. We're so much able to overcome these isolationist, um, the boundaries that we'd all be in our bunkers alone. Thank God we can talk like this across the miles and mm -hmm. around the world. Uh, we've got so many folks in the chat from all over the world doing it this time. But, I mean, we're, we're equipped here to be able to reach out and stay connected uh, with people that we know or or make new friends. And Absolutely. I don't know, it, these crazy Aussie online shows that keep popping up. <laughs> <laughs> Bringing people together. What a concept. Yeah, <laughs> yeah um, Nicole's mentioned um, that uh, society's just beginning to understand what it's like for the rest of us living with PTSD and CPTSD all these years. Um, and that's absolutely true. I think a lot of us are, are, if we haven't already, we're beginning to better understand what it's like to live with anxiety, depression, uh, trauma, and all of these sort of things. Um, I got two more tips. Larry, I'll make them quick because we oh. want to see if we, if, if you're interested in talking with us on the show, you can uh, send us a message on Skype to Life Support Host, and we can hopefully bring on um, you, and we can have a conversation about this. We didn't mention that earlier. We, we didn't mention it. Yes. We should add that to our show notes. Um, so <laughs> I got two we're doing. Yeah. I got two more here. So one is to get grounded. So run a sensor sweep. 
Um, sensor sweeps are great because they help you get a lay of the land of what's going on in the situation. And every crew runs a sensor sweep when they're in a new uncharted territory, when there's uncertainty. So we can do the same thing. And the way you can do this is five, four, three, two, one. If you find yourself getting too distracted by thoughts of the future, if you find yourself feeling like you're going on autopilot, you're not really plugged into your body or your, um, things just don't feel real, run this sensor sweep. So what it means is look at five things in the environment. Um, really pay attention to them. So right now I'm looking at my camera. I'm looking at um, this mic and kind of noticing the shine on it and really kind of pay attention to the details of five things. And then touch four different things. So right now this mic, this part feels very fuzzy. This part feels very smooth and very cold, actually. Um, my computer feels warm because it's broadcasting and doing a ton of different things at once. So um, touch four different things. Listen to three different sounds. So I hear the hum of my computer's fan. I hear my wife and daughter in the background. Um, I can hear the hum of my lights that are on. Pay attention to two different smells in the environment. And then... Notice one taste. It's usually whatever taste you have in your mouth. Um, this can help you get plugged into the moment. And if one sense works better for you, you can just keep doing that sense and keep experimenting with that sense. That's a great way to run a sensor sweep and get grounded in the moment. That's uh, that, and you called that the five four three two one. I didn't name that. I didn't come up with that. But it's called five four three two one grounding. Yeah. It's, it's just a way to get grounded in the moment when you feel like you're getting out of your mind or you're getting too lost in, in something else. Mm -hmm. um, sensory skills are a great way to get plugged into the present. Um, and we'll talk more about that, I'm sure, in future episodes. Last one, last one, last one. This comes from um, uh, Benjamin Sisko's father. One of my favorite quotes here. <laughs> but it's kind of it's a little bit of a cheat. Because Ben Sisko is quoting his dad saying this in my favorite episode uh, in the Pale Moonlight. And uh, oh. I think you might know this one. Worry and doubt are the greatest enemies of a great chef. The souffle will either rise or it won't. There's not a damn thing you can do about it. So you might as well sit back and wait and see what happens. And so this is about acceptance and coming to terms with the things that we can't necessarily control. We've done everything in our ability and now we kind of have to wait. And we want to do these other skills that will make it a little bit easier for us to wait, like um, finding activities that absorb your mind, getting grounded, um, reducing information seeking, all that kind of stuff. But at some point, we just have to come to terms with the things that we can't change. And um, that quote has always really helped me with that. Kind of just find ways to make it a little you bit easier to wait. Or you send the kid off to school or yeah. what? Yeah, absolutely. There's not That's much, not much there. you can do. Taking a kid to school, but yeah, you, you know. <laughs> Um, that's it for the away mission. Um, we're going to open up our hailing frequencies. If you are interested in talking with us, we would love to have you on. We'd love for you to be the third face, I think, over here, to be the yeah. third talking head here. So if you're interested in talking to us, uh, send us a message on Skype. We'll pull you in. Um, got 
so many great uh, comments are coming in. Uh, Rebecca saying, "My creed." I'm looking back at the chat. Some of the things. So Glenn, who's one of uh, coming in from Trekland Tuesdays, he's he's talking back back on a show level. He's talking about all the dark side, the undercurrents of DS9, but it was balanced out with humor and action and sci-fi and character and humor in a way that he thought. Mm-hmm. Ron's uh, rebooted Battlestar Galactica didn't didn't do as well. Mm-hmm. So you know, well, that, that was one of the nice things about Deep Space Nine is you had serialized storytelling, but you also still had some episodic um, stories. Um, and, and someone mentioned one of the one of the stories about Julian going to a planet to try to cure a um, a pandemic outbreak. Right. Yes. Um, that was a that's a good example of it. We still had these one off stories that went in different directions. My mm-hmm. only issue with that, Larry, is when we would have episodes. I call them the O'Brien torture episodes, where right. O'Brien, <laughs> yeah, where something horrible's happened to O'Brien, and then next week it's a standoff episodic thing, and it's like never mentioned again. Like O'Brien was imprisoned for like twenty years. Right. And it's like never mentioned ever again. It's like like Picard gets to have a life with a family and the planet dies at the end. But no, O'Brien's 30 year projection in one is prison, prison, prison. Right, 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 right. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Um, Star Trek Brian that will have maybe maybe the theme will be taken from his prison years. I don't know. They'll revisit. Yeah, his. Yeah, O'Brien must suffer. Just like Harry Kim must suffer. It was the uh, Harry Kim must suffer. Yeah, yeah. They always take that on the uh, on the engineers. You know, even even Jordy on Next Generation got a lot of abuse. He was the Manchurian candidate. He was the yeah. <laughs> uh, engineers. Um, Nicole says I enjoy talking here like this, but my social anxiety and brain frog make me hesitant to be an official participant. We get that. We get that, Nicole. It's it's hard to be on air, um, p- to be live, and all that all that sort of stuff. Um, we'd love to see you if you um, if that is is difficult. We'd love to talk to you. Um, we can bring you on without uh, the visual, and then at the same time, you can always leave a comment here, and we'd love to um, we'd love to talk more um, that way as well. Um, Larry, while we're getting in the comments. Um, uh, you you created a Facebook group, group for us. Oh, I did. Had, did we? Did I mentioned yes. Since I I, I threatened it last week, <laughs> but now carried through on the threat. No, we have a Facebook group page, guys uh, and gals. Uh, it's just uh, what you would see. What should we call the Facebook group for Life Support Live? How about Life Support Live? Life support uh, so, live. Uh, yeah, that so works. Go on Facebook, <laughs> uh, like it, and have conversation. You know, post. Um, when you see, well, I mean, we'll put the details of the show up, but it's totally there for everybody to use as a, you know, as a sounding board, as a conversation starter. And I, I think, do we have the capability to do votes there? We do. We can do a Facebook poll. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I know we have a formal one in the chat that I totally zoned out on. Uh, we've got a, we have a list of, we actually have plans, folks. We have plans for future shows, <laughs> but I'm curious also about what everybody would like to you know, ideas for future show too. So two ideas we're playing with for next week, and we'd love to get your immediate uh, comments and feedback here. Uh, but we also will, we'll create a Facebook poll uh, to have something a little bit more official. Um, so we're looking at next week's episode and a couple of ideas we have 
is we'd love to explore isolation and Star Trek Voyager. Uh, there's a, a lot of those themes. You could say the whole show was sort of about that. Um, we don't just mean the pods in uh, resolutions, right? Right. The thing we were in, or the the pods from one. Like <laughs> Voyager was a big pod show. It's like an me- internal metaphor. There were all these yeah. episodes where people were stuck in personal isolation, but uh, so yeah. much isolation as uh, a theme. <laughs> Um, so we, that's one idea we had. Um, another idea we had was better explore anxiety and certainty is one aspect of it, but it's certainly not everything. And we were thinking of exploring anxiety with a character and just doing a deep dive into a character that spans the next generation, a movie and Star Trek Voyager. And that would be, uh, Reginald Barkley. So if you'd like us to explore, um, Barkley and talk about, holodecks and phobias and social anxiety and growth and change in family and relationships. And when is a relationship with a counselor? When does it go too far? <laughs> so many, <laughs> yeah. so many things we could explore with Barkley. Oh, that was all just about Barkley. <laughs> if you like to do that deep dive into Barkley, let us know. Or if you want, uh, if you want to explore Star Trek Voyager in isolation, let us know in the comments. Um, the vintage psych says, Oh, definitely Voyager couldn't contact home at all till much later. Spoilers, the vintage psych. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, statute of limitations there have worn off. Um, Rose says, By the way, Larry, what number? Um, Rose, if you'd like to call in, it's life support host on, um, on Skype. Send us a message and we can get you on the show. Nicole says, This is my first time watching. I will be following here. And on Facebook, happy to have you here, Nicole. Um, happy to have you part of our community. We've, we've a lot of uh, folks coming into the PinguCon portal, which has been awesome. Um, it's great to see, Larry, how uh, mm-hmm. cons are bringing that in-person community online. Um, it's it's you know such a big loss for a lot of us um, to be able to actually see people in real life the people that we share all these loves with, these passions. And so it's it's nice to be able to get that connection here. We have this as a plan B and a backup. And, well, this is, I mean, um, I started to say, I saw one here. Um, oh, I want to do a real quick shout out to, mm-hmm. to one of my portales, Scott mm-hmm. Martin, who corrected me that George M. Cohen in World War One was mm-hmm. very much out talking to troops, did over there and write the Broadway. Okay. Uh, grand old flag and all of that. Um, anyway, yes, um, I've been saying for a long time that one of the upsides of this is going to be that there will be, I mean, I'd love to see some social shifts for the better, but there will be shifts in society out of this pandemic yeah. globally and in, 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 our, in our country and countries around the world. It's going to be our job to make sure that some of the lessons, some of these, we, a lot of thinking people have been pointing to, but sometimes it takes a pandemic to, this is a phrase I keep hearing, rip the Band-Aid off. And expose the things that been corrected, fixed, that were festering, you know, things in the healthcare system, some of the you know, remaining social justice issues, some of those Star Trek issues that that were behind the Bell riots. Maybe this is this is our how we get to the Bell riots reforms. Um, there's but there's but there's also potential for things to take a darker turn. You know, an authoritarianism to come in if people remain too fearful. Not to get deep here on the politics, but not not politics, but 
but social trends and social orders. But we can take it as a learning experience and come out of this, the silver lining of all this, you know, um, pain and anxiety and even death can be the stress of everybody who's going to survive, but at what cost and what shape. But hopefully, maybe we can band together and there'll be movements come out of this to learn some lessons, hopefully. There, there were lessons learned after the Spanish flu outbreak, much less after bigger traumas like world wars. You know, some good does come out of, of, a, of a social upheaval like this. And I'm hoping that will happen but just on a smaller level, just all of us here in fandom uh, we're gonna, and, and social connectivity. I think we're going to see a lot more good come out of, you know, streaming, live streaming. We'll see the potential of, of doing that. I mean, I, I, my Portal 47 was kind of a pioneering um, aspect of that. Now the rest of the world is going to catch up. <laughs> but it, well, it's a great tool. This really is a great tool for people to, uh, you know, even when there's not a pandemic, you know. Right, right. Um, one of the things that I've been I've been thinking about a lot here is if we look at what at what point does our future or our world and Star Trek depart? And one of the big mm-hmm. things that have you know, there's there's World War Three, First Contact, and after that, um, humanity unites in global cooperation of eradicating diseases, eradicating poverty, and the peaceful exploration of space. I think that's what Counselor Deanna Troy describes to Zephyr Cochran in First Contact. And those three variables are things that I've been thinking a lot about. Like that, that is Star Trek to me, is global cooperation in the pursuit of bettering humanity by eliminating diseases, poverty, and peaceful exploration, right? So one of the things that's happened here, I, I, Larry, I thought this was only going to happen with climate change and when climate change became much worse. But we right now have global cooperation in stopping a virus, finding some way to defeat it um, in a way that I have never seen before at, at this type of scale. Um Conflicts, there's ceasefires across the, the world. Uh, people mm-hmm. are redistributing all their resources to address this problem. And so in one very small way, we are right now pursuing one of those things that makes Star Trek Star Trek. And um, if we can keep at that, you know, the, the EU has struggled a lot in the last year or so, but the EU came out of the horrors of World War II. It was a decision, and, and I mentioned the EU because I think they're a very strong parallel to the, the United Federation. The EU mm-hmm. was an attempt at saying, how do we stop ourselves from going to war with each other? Because we just did it two times, and it's been really bad. Um, let's make our economies uh, um, interdependent upon each other, and maybe this will keep us from going to war. And so far, it's it's worked. So. Some good will come out of this. Um, it's up to us to advocate for that for that good and try to make a piece of that future become a reality. Um, but I, I'm, I'm hopeful and I'm, I'm optimistic about this. That's also well, what makes me a Trekkie. Yeah. I mean, one of the things, I mean, from day one when I was a kid, I, I was laughing last week about uh, jumping right over the aspirational <laughs> philosophical literary aspects of Star Trek thinking, well, yeah, <laughs> and going right to the world building in the background, you know, geeking out and all of that and the science 
But one of the things that always struck me, it's like it's the DNA of Star Trek in the future. And, and maybe we, you know, we've barely explained away what happened to the eugenics wars. Hopefully we'll have to explain away what happened to the Bell Riots. But we may eventually be confronted with the fact that Star Trek's prime universe is just not our universe. But mm-hmm. until that day, until that day, the idea that Star Trek is us, right? Mm-hmm. All of our history, good and bad, warts and all, is us. I always would love the lines when, especially what Kirk would say, would just do a, you know, we laugh about the Star Trek meme when they're, they're grappling with some crazy technical science aspect and, and somebody, you know, Scotty or Geordi or somebody would say, it's like a donut, but without the hole with a lightning bolt through it, you know, like <laughs> they, they do the dumbed down example so that the lay audience can understand what they're talking about, the right. parallel, you know, the, the metaphor. But when Kirk would do that thing and they're talking about, you know, Khan or something and they'll say, yes, think of it, doctor, you know, Caesar, Hitler, Napoleon, Lee Kwan, you know, and they would do that scope thing where they would reach back into history and then go forward and then throw something new in at you that we never hear about again. Who was Lee Kwan? That, I love that line. <laughs> but we know Caesar and Napoleon and Hitler were. And it not only shades the what they're talking about so that we instantly get it but it, it's always a reminder that they are us it's not yeah. a galaxy yeah. far away yeah and i yeah, i love star wars but it's yeah. not it's a different critter it's it's different and, yeah yeah and and um and i lost my original thread here but th- this thing about coming out of out of our history and reach off crap i forgot my that's okay bigger it's okay maybe you should read uh reread some of the stuff you've written all those books maybe that'll <laughs> reach out yeah here. i that is something somebody said here in the chat, but, um, but yeah, uh, uh, forget it. Move on. No, that's okay. And, and, and Larry, that's what, um, getting back to our first episode that is, or our announcement episode, um, that's what helped me so much was to see that Star Trek was us in the future and we've improved ourselves. That, that idea that humanity can improve, the idea from tapestry of Jean-Luc Picard improving. And this is what I struggle with with our episodes. Like there's uncertainty with so many characters across so many, um, uh, across so many series. And last week we were talking about trauma and growth and grief. And we were talking about Jean-Luc Picard, but like we could have that exact same discussion with Benjamin Sisko. We could have that with so many of, with Kira, with so many of the characters on this show. Um, so it's just it's something I always come back to. Star Trek is us in the future and we've improved. Um, not to get into Star Wars too much, but I, real quick. Yeah. Real quick. I remember what I was going to say. Yeah, My please. point was, you were, about the, you were talking about the EU. Yep, yep. You're right. When we compare, say, like, the, the United Nations with the Federation, the Federation is a quantum leap above the UN because the UN is still dealing with obvious political differences, right? It's trying to get together for the – let's not blow up the planet. But meanwhile, we've got all kinds of competition for resources and political ideology and people that agree on one social issue and they disagree on another. And we still got – but the EU is a, is a step above that, and it's more mm-hmm. melded. Mm-hmm. It's under strain and stress, but it's a step above the UN. And what I always thought was obvious was the Federation is the UN on stir is a step up like the, U, the EU, only maybe a step up from that. Although there's we see division within the Federation, the Council, all that. But what always made sense to me was you look at the arc of human history. We st- I, I say this you know metaphorically, we've gone from caves to city-states, to small countries, to, you know, 
13 colonies to one unified country. I mean, you know, the, the German Federation of tiny little, you know, whatever's to England, whatever, you know, name your, name your place. Mm-hmm. That, that natural arc of evolution to the point where not only do we wind up with a unified Earth, then we make the next step, and it's probably, you know, and Enterprise showed us. We had a loose alliance to a coalition and, and then a federation as people's, you know, as that comfort zone of the next level of the merge happens. Mm-hmm. And so it's stressing in a time of stress to see, you know, the EU under stress or to see America under stress mm-hmm. and to think of that as a regressive step. But hopefully the overall arc of history is from the caves <laughs> to the city states to, you know, forward. And, and to think that our parallel, if we actually do wind up with some kind of a planetary union, that all the individual members all had an arc like that on their own and yeah. people yeah. find each other. Yeah. You know, when but that always ends to me. And that's what the other thing I always loved about Star Trek was, well, yeah. <laughs> well, I, yeah. Um, so Sapiens, if you haven't read it, is a wonderful history of humankind. And one of the big takeaways from Sapiens is one of the great, um, the greatest qualities of humans is our ability to scale cooperation. That in in animals, in in most species of of, uh, of animals, they can only really scale cooperation in their bloodlines. So we're talking maybe fifty, maybe a hundred. Um, uh, apes can cooperate, but beyond that, not so much. But humans have this ability to cooperate um, at mass scale. And if you just think of the of NASA and our space uh, missions, or um, the International Space Station, the millions of people who had to cooperate from the people who are mining the metals that make the space station to um, the people who have done all the research and all the math and all the physics, to everyone who's training the astronauts, to everyone in mission control. Uh, There are so many people involved in that, and that's because of our ability to scale cooperation. And I really believe that that ability to scale up is going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, That's just... What makes me a Trekkie? And I, uh, we got a comment here from Shannon Q, who said, my boyfriend ran the online division of Lucasfilm during the prequels. I still blame him for Jar Jar um, Team Trek. Uh, I think what's great about Star Wars is Star Wars is more about good and evil. It's about um, it's a story about fantasy. It's a, it's a story that... Um, as my friend, Dr. Drea Ledimenti, who we do this uh, Star Wars Star Trek panel with, she says, Star Wars is there to help us to forget. It's, it's there to help us forget about everything that's going on. And Star Trek helps us to remember. It's social commentary about who we are and our species and, uh, and where we're headed. Um, Sapiens is available on Audible. Yeah, um, I, I have the print version because my wife likes to read print, but I listened to it on um, Audible, actually. That was my um, uh, my way of experiencing that book. And um, honestly, if you can just read the first third of it, you'll get um, – that's the part that really gets into all the big historical stuff about, uh, about all of this. It's uh, a wonderful, wonderful read. Thanks for listening to the Life Support Live podcast. We'd love to get your feedback on this episode. I'm at Ali Matu on social media. 
and I'm at Larry Nimichek. Hey, if you like this show, we'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review. It'll help more people to discover life support. And you can join the community at our Life Support Live Facebook group. If you'd like to learn more about psychology and mental health, check out my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash thepsychshow. And for a deeper dive into all things Trekland, like Portal 47, check out Larry Nimichek's Trekland on Facebook and YouTube. Until next time, live long and prosper. Trek well, everyone. <laughs>